Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blended. This is the third episode of a brand new show for Let's Talk Supply Chain. Blended is all about opening up conversations and giving the mic to all of the underrepresented voices in our industry. Women, the LGBTQIA community, people of color, those with disabilities, whether they're visible or hidden, and many, many more. There's a lot of talent out there that hasn't been given the platform it deserves. And there's also a general lack of understanding out there when it comes to minority groups. So Blended is here to change all of that. Before we get started with episode three, The Gender Equation, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Ships. Ships is a new platform bringing neutral bid and ship freight solutions to mid-market shippers. Working to simplify the complexities often found in logistics, the Ships platform closes the gap between shippers and forwarders, creating an accessible, hassle-free supply chain for all. Using insight-driven driven change, collaboration, and a passion for better business, Ships delivers industry-leading solutions for its customers. Blended is really important to Ships. We are a diverse group in our company, and we are so excited to be behind Blended, which is changing the conversation around diversity and inclusion in supply chain. Find out more at ships, S-H-I-P-Z or Z.com. Apex, diversity and inclusion is a core value of Apex Logistics with over 80% minority employed and 42% female executive leadership. Apex understands that celebrating diversity in the workplace is vital and impactful, bringing together a variety of backgrounds and skill sets to create a strong and collaborative culture with highly skilled individuals. Our partnership with Blended emphasizes our commitment to this important principle. Visit them at apexglobe.com. Mercado. At Mercado, diversity is a foundational issue. Having spent our entire careers in a global industry, we welcome and celebrate diversity. It's an honor to support Let's Talk Supply Chain and Blended in their efforts to promote diversity in such a meaningful and impactful way. Mercado is an international supply chain platform that creates solutions for importers by transforming supply chain processes, allowing companies to bring their products to market better, faster, and cheaper. Mercado's goal focus on mitigating risk and eliminating pain across the international supply chain. This ultimately ensures companies get their products to market with greater efficiency and at lower cost through leveraging the platform's 70 plus procurement, ordering and shipping features. So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by a group of supply chain professionals who have a lot to say on the issue of gender equality in the workplace. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this today. Welcome to Sophia, Rashmeet, Henrik, Allison, and Jonathan. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sarah. Hello there. Thanks for having us, Sarah. Yeah, so today in episode three, The Gender Equation, we're going to be exploring the different experiences that men and women have in their careers. The gender pay gap, why women have traditionally been pitted against other women, and how we can all work together to make meaningful change for the future. So let's get started with some introductions then. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, how you identify, and what the gender equation means to you. Sophia, I'll start with you. So hello, everyone. Thanks, Sarah, for uh, inviting me to this episode. Well, I 
I'm Sofia. I am born and raised in Mexico in a city called Guadalajara, and I still live here. I am a twin and daughter of an entrepreneur couple. So my dad is a civil engineer and my mom is a psychologist, and they both had at some point their own business. I decided to study industrial engineering and halfway through found out that I really like supply chain. So I started just looking for how to specialize in that field. And upon graduation, I did a, a supply chain and logistics certificate by MIT. And now I currently work as a data analyst for an airport group. And on the side, I always uh, advocate and I'm like, kind trying to be an ambassador for supply chain and get people involved in this amazing community. Awesome. So what does the gender equation mean to you? Yes. Yeah, so for me, I guess I would dare to say that it's a social construct that tries to define who we are. And I think it depends on where you are uh, located in the type of context in which you're in. So your culture and history because as any equation, uh, factors may vary depending on, on this context, right? So for example, we can view it differently from my country to your country and vice versa. And I believe by itself, it's not harmful, but I think it bounded us or bounds us just to a certain or just a couple of outcomes or a range of outcomes that whenever we get out of them, we are not expected to behave in that way. So I think it's right. a bit uh, of a constraint. And I think that as human beings, we are always trying to explain our reality and we try to categorize ourselves in order to define us and get this feeling of belonging. Um, but I think we can do better, right? Yeah. And yeah. there must be other ways to do it rather just to put us in a box of, in this case, our gender. Absolutely. No, I definitely agree with you on that. And it's a good thing we've got people from all over the world on this episode, because that's what we're talking about is the gender equation from all sorts of different perspectives and what that looks like around the world. So Henrik, I'm going to go to you next. Tell us who you are, what you do, how you identify, and what does the gender equation mean to you? Hello, everyone. And hi, Sarah. Um, thanks for having me here today. It's uh, going to be a really interesting conversation today, I think. Um, my name is Henrik. Uh, I'm Danish, living in Singapore. Um, I have been working in the logistics industry since uh, 1989. So I'm definitely the oldest on, on this board here today. Um, since some years, I have been uh, creating a new company, working a lot on um, organizational topics, leadership topics in particular, in, in terms of how we are making more enabling and, and empowering cultures. Um, and I see that as being a really important uh, topic for, for, for the gender equality uh, discussion, because it's not only about equality for women, it's about the inclusion uh, and acceptance and building in the diversity everywhere. And there's a lot of things that we can do there. So, so I had two perspectives on that. First of all, uh, and I discussed that a lot with my, my daughter, she's 12. Um, whenever we are talking about uh, inequality, she just says, 
it doesn't make any sense. And I fully agree with that. <laughs> and secondly, from, from an organizational perspective, it also doesn't make any sense uh, to have inequality because business just becomes better when you are having uh, equality. So I think there's a lot uh, for us to, to talk about there today. Uh, and you ask us to, to identify ourselves a little, I'll do that. So I'm 50, male and white. Awesome. Awesome. And I can't wait to dive into, because you guys have done a lot of research on this topic. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking forward into diving into some of those stats that you can, you can share with us today. So Rashmeet, you're up next. Hey, so um, I'm Rashmeet. I'm 26 years old uh, from India. Uh, I am a mechanical and manufacturing systems engineer working on building a career in supply chain like Sophia. Um, but majorly my work and my experience revolves around uh, creating more women leaders and role models for women like me. Uh, to me, uh, gender equality is all about opportunities and acceptance of women and their ambitions and dreams as very normal. So as somebody who was just 18 has said that I wanted to become a mechanical engineer, I was told, you know what, probably you are too sissy for that field. And that's it. That was it for me. For me to realize, you know what, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create more role models, push my career, push the career of others around me, and make sure that nobody gets to hear that ever again. That's the goal of my life. So uh, I identify strongly with um, all those leaders who feel like backing other uh, women and men out there who are, you know, in their uh, because of their upbringing, an ally to all those who are trying to break these barriers that uh, men and women face because of the systems and the social conditioning for more than, you know, set, for many centuries now. That's my yeah. approach to it. Love it, love it. Glad you're here, Rashmeet. All right, Jonathan, over to you. Thanks, Sarah, and it's really great to be on the show and to be amongst such good colleagues and friends. Um, thanks for putting this together. Uh, I'm Jonathan Kempe. I uh, am a CEO founder of a technology company based in Australia, Australia, and uh, I have the privilege of being married to a, a beautiful woman. We have three children of uh, various ages, a fourth on the way. Uh, we'll stop after that, just so you know. Um, and Thank you. Thank you. The world, the world says thank you, I think. Um, but uh, I, I've had a, a long and diverse career uh, um, amongst a lot of different industries, um, small business, large business in uh, the defence apparatus over here in Australia and uh, in various technology domains. Um, and you know, pertinent to this discussion, I've been uh, working alongside and been led by, <coughs> excuse me, some incredible women. Um, my, my position on the gender equation or gender equality is I'm a firm believer in, in providing access to equal opportunity. Uh, so how do we ensure that when two candidates or a few candidates apply for a certain position, or if they exist in a certain place um, or perform certain activities, that they have an equal chance to succeed and to thrive? Um, I think a lot of the equations that get spoken about um, these days stop at entry, as in how can we get more women to STEM? Um, uh, I would like us to also think about how we can sustain women in STEM over a period of time. Um, so if there's any way for us to make the playing field more equal 
in that regard so that opportunities can be extended to, to each gender and to, to any person who wants to enter a certain industry, then that would be fantastic. Awesome. And how do you identify? I, I'm a white heterosexual male, uh, married, and with awesome. more children than I can count. <laughs> You're outnumbered at home, Jonathan. Yeah, it, it goes it goes one on one. Then there's well, there's two on one. Then there's one on one, and then you have to play zone defense, which is what we're in at the moment. The zone <laughs> nice. defense. So, last but not least, over to you, Allison. Tell us who you are, what you do, how you identify, and what does the gender equation mean to you? Hi, everyone, and thanks, Sarah, for welcoming uh, another Aussie onto this amazing panel. Uh, my name is Alison Cusack. I am the founder and principal lawyer of Cusack & Co, which is a maritime law services firm. Uh, how do I identify? I am a Caucasian cis female. I am 34 and I am single. Just to throw that out there. Yes. Um, I am also the uh, Women's International Shipping and Trading Association president for Australia. So very pro putting all my energy into that and just piggybacking off what Jonathan said, I say to companies, you get them in, Wister will keep them in because we're providing a network to support. In terms of the gender equation, um, I'm very much about why are we gatekeeping people's passions? Why are we gatekeeping people's passions? I just want to do what I love and I don't want to have to fight to be able to do it. I want to come to work and be a shipping lawyer because it's what I love. And I don't want to be on 10 o'clock calls at night with the Worcester International Diversity Committee strategizing about how we fight for all the women internationally to get the right to go to work to do what they love or way. That's what I find bizarre is we're gatekeeping. We're gatekeeping men and companies and cultures are gatekeeping women from um, passions, leadership, power. And the same cultures and toxic masculinity are gatekeeping men from being emotional, from fatherhood, from part-time work, from, you know, all, all the other stuff. Why we need to stop gatekeeping and gender is a form of gatekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree stop. with you on that one. Thank you, Allison. So now we're going to start off the conversation. There's a few ways, there's a few areas that we're going to go in and there's a lot to cover today. So I think what we might do is start with Henrik and talk a little bit about the research and the data that you have been accumulating over the last little bit. And then we can all, you know, jump in and talk about different things and I can pose some more questions as we go along. So Henrik, you've actually written a white paper this year called How a Gender Balance Makes Business Better. What made you write the paper and what were some of the findings that you had from all of the research that went into that? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So the, the idea around the research and the white paper was really to, to create something um, which is both based in facts but also which is actionable. We wanted to provide something what, what people, organizations, women, HR, and everyone can, can work with. Because there's nothing out there really. Uh, and there's very little also in, in, in other industries. So we went through um, several rounds of data collecting. We had more than, we contacted more than 7,000 people. We ended up with a sample size of uh, almost 2,000 people on a global scale. Um, and there were four main findings out of that. I would like to share them here because I think it's, 
they're really quite interesting actually. First of all, um, there's only like 13% of the senior leadership positions being held by women. And that is interesting in the sense of when we measured the leadership competencies, where people were actually giving feedback on the leaders, women are scoring higher than men on six out of seven competencies. So wow. if you like, women are actually better leaders. Um, the second thing what we measured was the employee experience. And there it turns out that women are reporting to have a 10% lower experience of the organization than men. So there's a potential for some frustration there. The third thing what um, we found interesting was the fact that when we were specifically looking into how people are experiencing their leaders, women reported to have a 19% lower experience than men. And that's significant. Mm -hmm. And that points very much towards um, a need for more inclusive leadership, I guess. And the last one, and, and this is maybe a little bit controversial, we also measured what is called the uh, level of psychological safety. Of course, not in a deep way, but we were going in and measuring people's self-assessment on their belief in their own abilities. And their women are reporting to have 15% lower self-belief, if you like, than men. Mm. And we were also measuring... Um, the level of optimism and women seem to be 22% lower than men on that. Mm. The good thing about psychological safety is also measuring resilience and their women are actually uh, reporting a 15% higher level than men. Huh, I wonder what they're doing over there. Yeah, good question. <laughs> I mean, we can discuss that here now. I have my views on it, but I'm really interested in hearing some, some other views on this year as well. Of yeah, I want to send it over to Allison because you and I have talked about this before, right? We've talked about how women um, suffer, maybe. I don't know if suffer is the word, but from imposter syndrome. And I think some of the, the findings that Henrik has just mentioned really rolls into that imposter syndrome that we kind of feel um, and maybe it's because of the years or the, you know, of inequality. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, this is such great points. And I love the survey and the data and, and data is something that we're trying to get more of. Um, and just to let all the audience know, the International Maritime Organization and Worcester Internationally have formed an MOU to go get more data. They've seen that as a real need to quantify. So we know what we're doing. But yeah. When it and what we're up against. Yeah, exactly. What we're up against yeah. and are we moving? Because otherwise everyone's like, mm, I don't know. But when it comes to imposter syndrome, it is a massive problem because you are fighting so hard. And this is my personal experience, but I've talked to so many other women, is that you fight so hard to just get into the foyer of the building. And then you fight so hard to get into the elevator and you fight so hard to get into that role. And you're always fighting and you're exhausted and you're thinking, well, shouldn't it be easier? Shouldn't it be easier? And you see other people, and typically men, getting the gilded path, getting the escalator because of the boys club and the, oh, I'll put a word in for you and I'll train you and I'll take you out to a golf day and I'll mentor you. And you feel very much alone in the wilderness because to get a mentor, you would have to admit that you need more help and you want to grow more but how do you admit and be vulnerable that you want to grow and learn and develop your skills because that feeds into the very thing of well if i don't have the skills then what am i doing here so you've there's a created environment of having to um prove yourself to the point where you're 
so much better than your next competitor who is male that you are worthy because the bar is higher for you because you have to exceed expectations. And then how on earth can you then ask for help, right? How do you get to ask for help and say, I don't know, I'd like to learn. And this is where I think male allyship has a massive important place and senior female allyship to create a space where they can say, hey, this is when I've not known what to do or I've learned, you know, let's chat about it. And there are two people on this call that I have done that with and I have benefited enormously because that space was created to go, you know what, when I have encountered these situations, this is what I tend to do. Just in case you're looking for another option, it's not that all or nothing, black or white, succeed or fail, because I don't know about other people's impressions, but when minorities um, elevate to a certain position, they have one chance. They have one chance to fail and then it's out. And there's yeah. a lot of, there is a, there is a lot of commentary from other minorities who, you know, whether it's LGBTQ, um, BIPOC, they talk about you get one chance to fail and yeah. that there's no, there's no safety net. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this is what Henrik was talking about, you know, that, um, security, that psychological security that I'm allowed to try and fail and grow. Yeah. So Henrik, I'm going to go over to you. And then Rashmeet was like totally nodding her head. So we're going to go to Rashmeet after you, Henrik. Go ahead. Yeah, just to, to give an injection here on the imposter syndrome. Um, it's important to realize that what we measured again was that female leaders scoring higher than men on six out of seven leadership competencies so there's no reason to have and feel like an right. employee at all and this is this is one of the things which uh, when we are working with organizations and particularly females networks um they, they take up this data very they're very interested in this data because it enables them to go back in the organization and talk about the gender equality from a business perspective rather than or please help me or I need some support. It really just makes business better if you're having more female leaders. So that changes the discussion you can have in your company. Yeah, yeah, Rashmi. I actually have something interesting to say here. Um, so um, I have heard a lot of women out there who have 20, 25 years of work experience saying that I have never experienced this. I have never faced any bias per se in my industry. And on the other side of the spectrum, I've heard men in their early careers say that, hey, I'm an introvert. I don't go smoke. I don't like, as I was mentioning, I don't go golf, you know, golfing. But So I feel like I don't belong to this space. And, uh, you know, they face this challenge of putting themselves out there and they face with internal barriers. So after hearing this, you know, two different objectives from the general uh, talk in the, uh, you know, societies that I'm a part of, what I understand is internal barriers are the result of your experiences. Culturally, you know, women tend to be in those positions more often because of the social conditioning. They develop these internal barriers more often. So I believe anyone and everyone who has had, you know, uh, exposure to conscious and unconscious bias at a young age or in their early career can develop this syndrome. And uh, just because of how we have been functioning, uh, you know, in our, in, in, our, in different industries uh, with very few role models for women out there, uh, women face this more often than men. 
but it happens it, it can happen to anyone that's one perspective i wanted to put you know put out it can happen to anyone based upon their experience so we have to change yeah. those experiences yeah. for women out there that's more important yeah i like that and i like that you brought that up i want to ask you because you're in india what what's you know the the perspective on gender balance in the workplace in india what does that look like are people talking about it is it something that is changing over there it's an interesting mix in india we'd say completely depends upon the industry and also uh, the city that you're in so we have a huge you know economic parity in india so in tier 1 cities yes it's become a dialogue so in tier 1 cities you know uh, probably throughout the year there are women initiatives that are you know uh, are all out there there are dialogues in the organizations and men are starting to join the conversation now i oh good Uh, it's it's a very yeah. rare thing honestly it's not like they're joining with a lot of positive mindset but it's happening it is happening i see a lot of work around there but at the same time since we work with cities you know beyond tier 1 as well there it's still giving a rose to a lady on women's day that's their understanding of uh, you know this whole camp. so it's it's a it's a complete mix of emotions out there i'd say Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Sophia, going to go over to you. I am I don't know if you want to jump on what Rashmeet said and also give us an overview of what's happening in Mexico. Yeah, so I believe I have this perspective that India and Mexico are not so opposite. I think we're at some point very similar, especially in our traditions and this sense of family. So I think that at the end you see a lot of similarities. So again, yeah, you see that it depends on the industry, depends on the city, the state, but also age. Mm. So I think that conversation in Mexico it's a bit harder because of our uh, cultural background. we have all of us men and women we have embedded a type of of ways and language that are more favorable for men so it's hard to to first realize as a woman your own bias and how you're treating others uh, in that sense right and and be aware of your own actions and say okay well how how can i change them and start a conversation right and then again i think that on something that henrik was saying we don't we see that uh, women have less experience and are less and less women are reaching higher positions in companies and i think this is strongly correlated with age in mexico at least because there's a lot of pressure of starting a family a lot of pressure of this clock a biological clock that you have and that at some point i mean everyone tells you like hey so when are you going to get married or when are you having children and i think it's not bad to ask but we should think why we asking yeah yeah right Yeah. Why and why are we only asking it to women, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm glad that you brought that up and I'm going to go over to Jonathan for this one cuz him and I had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago 
on how we, how women are having a hard time climbing the ladder and balancing family at the same time. I know you want to jump in on what Sophia said, but I think we should also bring up what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago as well. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Um, a, a brief comment on what Henrik's brought up in the discussion that's come about. Um, competence versus confidence, I think, is one of those things that needs to be brought to the fore because a number of companies build their cultures around confidence. So all of the KPIs for success are based on longevity of time work there and the bonuses that you get are all about being in the boys club or whatever it might be. And it promotes this idea that the most confident people will probably get ahead. And what I've found, and it doesn't matter if it's introverts, it doesn't matter if it's women, it doesn't matter if it's minorities, the most competent people struggle. And I think that's what destroys corporate cultures. And I think it's what's backed up in the data and, and Henrik can elaborate on that. Um, but in, in regards to uh, the question of balancing career and family, um, it's, it's a very complex issue and it's a very personal issue. Um, I, I think corporations do themselves a disservice when they generalize in that domain. Um, because what they end up doing is they put everyone in the same sort of box as in they're going to be like this or they're going to be like that. And that's very unhelpful. Um, I hope to say in the company that I'm building, create a culture which honors the individual as in what is your circumstance as you go through this uh, process. We recently just employed uh, a young man who's about to go and have a baby, his wife and, and him will have a baby shortly, but he's just joined the company. And so we're presented with the challenge of, oh, someone's gonna come up. Do we value him as an individual and what his input will be inside the company? Or do we hierarchically choose uh, to have a profitable individual in, involved and grab somebody else? Cause you know, they seem like they're more readily available. And I think the challenge that faces women um, you know, partially the biological clock, partially the social pressure of, of certain uh, positions that, that society tends to deem that women need to occupy, um, is, is it feels like a, a, a polarised choice of one or the other. And I would challenge corporate leaders to think, um, why can't there be a balance between both, where you create an environment where a woman could go off and have a family but still be engaged in the organisation? And if you can't do that, um, let me not be controversial, but be emphatic and say you lack creative leadership because good leaders acknowledge any stage that any of the people in, in their care are going through and accommodate accordingly. They don't generalize, they don't sandbox, they don't restrict. Um, they give opportunities equally and they extend those in a practical and sustainable way, allowing the corporation to grow while still allowing the individual to flourish. And so my challenge to the corporate leaders who might be listening to this is to work out ways to work alongside women so that they don't feel a pressure to have to choose between both. Mm -hmm. and they could possibly do them in an equal capacity for the benefit of the organization and definitely for the benefit of the individual. Yeah, the interesting part of that discussion that we had, though, really opened my eyes to the, the career trajectory of a male versus a female. And if a woman takes time off to go, go have a baby, their male counterparts, so if they stay, if they start at the same level, let's say a man and a woman, and they're going on the same trajectory on their career, and the woman decides to have a baby, well, the man still keeps going on his career trajectory, and the woman takes a bit of a pause and then comes back and then starts that trajectory. And so I think that that's a bigger discussion too in where the equality 
or the inequality actually stems from. And I think, you know, kudos to you for what you're saying to the audience is challenging them from an innovative standpoint. How do we figure that out? Because that, you know, there's, there's got to be something there for us to really figure out so that we can bring equality back to the table, even though they're on a bit of a different path. Henrik, I don't know if any of your research has sort of, you know, shown any of that. Um, this is probably the last part that we'll spend on this conversation because there's a lot more that we have to get to. But what do you think about what we've, we've just said in that regard? Well, so I have a personal story uh, around that. When my son was born in, back in 97, I, I actually wanted to go on a paternity leave. And my boss was laughing at me and he really asked me, don't you have a wife? <laughs> um, so like for me to ask for paternity leave back then was uh, not really workable. Since then, a lot of things have happened in some countries. It's much more accepted to do that, in particular in the Northern and Central European countries. We didn't look into this here specifically, um, but all the field interviews which we have led, we, we can see that this is a big issue and what Jonathan is calling out to have more creativity in how dealing with this is super important. But it really comes down to the company itself. And, and I'm living here in Singapore um, and when I'm seeing women uh, going on maternity leave, it's like, I think it's two months. Uh, if you compare that back to Europe, it's uh, up to nine months, um, or even that in, in some countries, your job is secured, you can come back to your, your own, the, the, the old position after three years still, which is great in, in one way uh, for, for, for allowing women to get to, to start a family, but it's also having an economical impact as well, because leaders in these countries, they need, really need to think twice before they hire in a woman who is in in the age of maybe wanting to, to start a family because they may actually end up blogging the organization for three years due to these rules. So I don't have an answer to this. Uh, I like the opportunity in, in these countries to do it like that, but there's certainly also some, some disadvantages for, for companies in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that's kind of the age old discussion is, you know, how do we get around that? How do we think more creatively? How do we think more innovatively to really get around some of those challenges that obviously we're having and that have contributed to gender inequality? So the next part of this conversation is going to get a little bit interesting because as women, we've all seen and I'm sure experienced infighting or backstabbing between us in the workplace at some point. And I actually think this is a big issue on the gender imbalance because not only are we fighting challenges and having to prove ourselves, you know, um, we're then having issues in amongst our own gender. Um, and I'm sure everybody's seen that. But I think before we hear from those who have experienced this, which are the women on the panel, um, I wanted to ask Jonathan and Henrik, you know, what is your perception as the audience watching this type of infighting what, like what's your perspective on this coming from the outside in because obviously being men in the industry you you haven't dealt with women against women so i can't really ask you about that but i can ask you about the perspectives and, and what you sort of see from the outside looking in so jonathan i'll start with you uh yeah i'll make two comments about that one is um i feel i feel sad about it uh, and i think it's horrific when you view 
um, people trying to occupy a certain space um, who could do that codependently um, when they feel it's necessary to create tension. Um, a, a little example, I, I catch the ferry into work and I watch people on the ferry as they interact with each other. And um, I notice oddly uh, women judging other women on, on what they wear. Mm. Um, whereas like if I was a man and I was on the ferry and I saw another dude walk on and he had like a crazy loud jacket or boots, I'd be like, rad, uh, good on you, mate. Um, but I, I've noticed a few in particular really give a, a, another woman on the ferry a good up and down. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she'd be wearing that. And I think, isn't that strange that there's something inside how we've been conditioned to react in those situations where women potentially feel it's necessary to make that sort of um, uh, judgment on someone else. I'm not sure why that is. I can't, I can't speak from yeah. personal perspective, um, but I've observed that. And uh, that's the bit that I'm saddened by because I see that in corporate cultures from time to time as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my first observation. I, I think secondly as well, I touched on culture and why that's so important. I think it's important as male allies and men who've been involved in uh, employing, working alongside and being led by women um, that we play our part in ensuring that those environments don't thrive. Um, so if it is yes. observed, it's not good to sit on the sidelines with popcorn and go like, wow, they're really going for it. You're like, no, no, no. Your responsibility is to assist and facilitate so that that environment doesn't exist to start with. And if it starts to exist, you start to stamp it out. You work alongside the people who are involved in those sort of power plays and you, you ask them why and you work your way through it together. I think there's actually a way you can mediate and assist uh, to create more healthy cultures. Yeah, thanks for that. And we're going to talk about allyship at the end, because I think it's a great place to end off the discussion to talk about what we can and what we need, what we can do, that kind of thing. So Henrik, um, just being from the outside looking in, I know you're very passionate about this, this part of the discussion. So what would what would you say? Well, first of all, I would like to see Jonathan's uh, aspiration uh, work out in real life and, and going in there and calling it out if two women is having this uh, kind of conflict. Uh, that could be misunderstood in, in many ways. Uh, but I think overall, uh, and now kind of take a little bit more psychological view on that, is uh, every person, both men and women, are having an ego. Uh, and they're both mm -hmm. good male leaders, bad male leaders, and the same goes for women as well. So I, don't, um, I think this part of um, our discussion here is, is, is not really only about a, a gender perspective, but it's more about like the mindsets um, and behaviors which you see in organizations. And I have also experienced a lot of women, female leaders, uh, not being willing to step up and help other women. And to me, when, when thinking a little bit into that, it, it came out that I have been fighting so hard for this year myself, I'm not going to make it easy for others. And that's pure mm. egoism. Uh, and you have that uh, all over the place. But I'm actually yeah. really interested in hearing some of the, um, the other views on this here from this, because I'm seeing it a little bit from the outside. Uh, I don't want to judge it. I just think that uh, we need to remember everyone is having an ego, which is driving behaviors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Allison, I know you want to jump in on this one, but I'm going to send it over to Rashmeet first. What are you experiencing with this? Have you, you know, why are we, why are we doing this? Is it because roles for women are limited and we're pitted against each other gladiator style to win that role when 
you know, actually, if we were competing on an even playing field against the men too, that wouldn't be the case. Like, what do you think about this? Because in my world, I'm seeing it, you know, too often. Um, and it, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think we just need to, to support each other. Okay, so um, interesting confession and an insight on this, I'd say. Um, I'm generally single, single, uh, you know, Firstly, I'm the youngest person in the room I enters. That's first. And I'm also the only woman since I happen to work in the automotive industry. And that happens way too often. Right. Single, you know, very young women walking in. So there are two kinds of, uh, you know, um, behaviors I come across. Either they look down at me and be like, why is she here? Like, she's inexperienced and she doesn't belong. And you can see that in their behavior and the way they talk to you in a boardroom. Or they're you know, they become very caring men because they have 40, 30 years of work experience and suddenly I'm like the baby in the room that they have to take care of. So, you know, I, I <laughs> this, this is the general behavior I have seen around me. Now, I had gotten, because of the fact that I do work hard, I do put my value addition on the table, I have experienced a second bit more, you know, people, you know, men becoming very caring around me, you know, becoming the younger sister or the daughter for some, some managing director or the other. Now, uh, confession here is, when I actually uh, had, you know, women younger than me join the team, uh, I felt for a couple of seconds, I was sitting in that meeting when I realized when she was treated in that exact same way, and I felt like, oh, this is what they talk about. It's like I was a queen bee. Suddenly, I'm no longer that person. So uh, I think right. it's purely because of the fact that we are the roles for us are so limited, our acceptance is so limited in those industries that we get used to the special treatment. So that's the confession I wanted to talk about. But interestingly, mm. interestingly, um, what what I think is we need to also showcase out there the stories of sisterhood. Everyone out there is talking about women pitting against each other, but. There are so many stories of, you know, women around us from our families, our friends, and also in senior leadership who stand there for each other. Nobody talks about it. Nobody prefers talking about it because uh, as a media culture, it's no longer, you know, the popcorn thing, you know, that Jonathan mentioned. That's it. You know, we are very sexist and misogynist in our upbringing on a subconscious level. We have been brought up in a media culture wherein, you know, seeing this is interesting. And when we see that happening in real life, we tend to focus on it more. And all the good things that are happening, we don't put out there. So I think uh, there's a blend of both of these. Some realization needs to come at our end. And then we need to put those amazing stories out there because uh, I've had these stories of bias, couple, a couple of these instances, but 10, 20 times more instances wherein I was bathed so beautifully without even asking for it. Yeah, I love that. And, I, and I'm really thankful for you for sharing that story because this is what this place is all about. This is a safe space for us to be able to share, you know, some of our confessions from, from you know, how we felt in that moment. And then how did we get out of that? And how did we turn it around to help support one another? So I like that. Allison, I know you're chomping at the bit. Uh, let's talk about this. So women, women against women. I mean, Rashmeet is saying that we need more stories about women supporting women. Um, I like to try to do that on social media with the hashtag women supporting women. 
I, but I also want to throw this out to you because this is controversial and I think that you're the person for this question. Um, do we think I that- I have so much. Think, yeah, I know. Do we think that some men have encouraged this dynamic? Um, you know, when it suits them or are we doing it to ourselves? I mean, let's talk about this. Gloves uh, are off. From the Simpsons, a little from column A, a little from column B. So firstly, um, to pick up on Rashmi's point, internalized misogyny. Women can suffer from internalized misogyny and they have to catch themselves and go, ooh, hang on, I'm really playing into their hands right there because I'm doing what's been done to me. My favorite thing to say to people is, there's that quote about if you make it to the top, send the ladder back down. Stuff the ladder, send the elevator, send the service elevator. Let's cram as many amazing women in and just rocket them to the top. They've, they've done their time. I saw a very senior woman politician say, well, I had to have it hard so everyone else can. God, no, stop that. Stop that right now. Stop <laughs> putting that on. Oh, I had to climb a mountain. So you have to, God, no, I'm exhausted thinking about it. Stop it. Um, abundance versus scarcity, right? If we all come in with an abundance mindset, it is not about one room for one woman at one table. We have so many rooms, so many seats. And you know what this crap about bring your own chair, like we're bringing our own sort of like Bunnings, you know, fold up chair and they've all got their plush mahogany, you know, leather crap. Now stop, we're building our own tables. We're building our own tables with our own values. We're not knocking on the door to say, please sir may I have a crumb of respect from you no build your own tables with your own values and you'll attract amazing people right be brave walk away from shitty situations sorry I'm not out of swear um, walk away from bad situations that don't serve you but positive values showcase that so at Worcester as the president I get um of Australia I get approached by other organizations. I get approached by other women's organizations. I get approached by members who say, well, you know, there's Worcester and then there's this organization and that organization. I said, hey, there's great, there's great organizations. You go for whatever suits you. I go on record all the time saying I will not compete against any other women's organization out there in our industry. I will not compete. I will not let any Worcester committee member or any Worcester member compete for that. We all work together. We all have our own aims and I'm never, ever going to compete. Similarly, if another organization in the industry wants to work with Worcester and they display bad behaviors, I will call it out and I will not work with them anymore. And I will put them on the bad behavior watch list and say, no, you need to earn it back. You do not deserve to work with Worcester and display misogynistic tendencies and treat my committee members badly. Not sure if you know, Sarah, but I will go into bat <laughs> for people. But the other thing I do is I overtly tell people how capable I think they are. To their face, to my committee, I say to them, and this is picking up on Rashmi's point about positive values, I say to the women on my committee, you are strong, professional, motivated women. You're incredibly capable. If you need a help, give me a call, but I trust you. And off we go. I don't micromanage them into the point of gaslighting and you know doubting their competency right versus confidence hey and so i'm trying to give them more confidence by saying of course i believe in you there's no doubt there's no question mark there's no hesitation i believe in your skill set if you need help i will be there but i believe in you to take that first step and we need to really hype up 
other women. Women need to hype up other women and she so loudly for them that they overpower the doubt they have in their own mind. I have given numerous aggressive pep talks (laughs) in my time as Worcester president. I have forced people to apply for jobs. I have forced women to apply for mentorships. And I say, you are going to do it and you're going to report back to me because I want this for you. You have to cheer so loudly that you drown out all the crap and you are displaying every single day how to be an amazing fellow female to your females. But one thing I want to say about the, you know, the women who pit against other women, it's, it's this culture of pick me, pick me. I'm like one of the guys, pick me. Mm. I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not like other girls, pick me. And they want this male validation that they're the special one. Um, And that I think mentality, which is again from the internalized misogyny that underpins the crappy mean girls, you know, bullying behavior. That's like, well, all the guys invite me because they know I'm like one of the boys and like, you know, I drink beer and what, like, Hey, if you want to drink beer, that's great. But but you don't have to sell out the sisterhood to do it. Right. They're not, they don't go hand in hand. And I think that it's what Jonathan said as well is, you know, stamp it out. Absolutely stamp it out. I stamp it out as soon as I see it. When I had the new committee formed for the um, new election of the Worcester Australia Committee, I said, this is my expectations. This is the tone. This is the collaborative nature that I want. And I overtly said, this is how we're going to operate. And I will not tolerate bad behavior in this committee because I am the president. I need to lead and set the tone. And if male company, you know, CEOs and boards are like, I just don't know how to do that because like women are fictitious creatures and I just don't know how to deal with them in the wild. You run a billion dollar company, you go off to banks, you go off to governments and you say, hey, I'm really great at what I do, but somehow I forgot how to treat women as people and employees and I've kind of forgotten the law around proper employment management, but yet you should trust me with billions of dollars and put me on the Forbes list and put me on the covers of your things. But it's just so hard to handle like females. No, I'm cutting out that BS. If you cannot be a proper leader, get the hell out of the way for someone who can. Mm-hmm. That ends my TED talk. <laughs> that was a very big mic drop. And if anybody could see this video right now, everybody on here is doing a mic drop. So Sophia, you are the last one that I'm going to come to to uh, weigh in on this topic. But the one thing I want to throw to you is, you know, Henrik talked about ego. And if it's really all about ego, how are we going to get past this? Because, you know, this one conversation isn't going to solve this whole thing, but we do need to start making strides forward. And so what do we do about that ego? How do we pack it away? How do we, you know, you know, crush through some of this garbage that's going on? Yeah. So I guess first I'll share something, uh, a personal story. When I was studying industrial engineering, there were some, a lot of times where I was the only girl in the classroom or the only, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but I was always surrounded by boys. And at some point I would say that whenever I encountered someone 
uh, a woman that woman that was a bit more uh, I don't know awoke or smarter than me I will I would get so mad like internally like why is she so good at it and then at some point I realized why do I get so mad when it's a, a female and I don't get that mad when it's a male and I think it, it is part of again what uh, Allison and Rashmi said about this internal misogyny that we have and how we always struggle with this likability and success for women. So mm -hmm. if you are very smart and if you are uh, very successful, you are less liked by everyone in general. And, and if I go back to my I don't know, my life, I, I see that I was bullied in, in elementary school because of that, right? But I did, at that point, I didn't care. And I was like, I, I don't care if I don't have any friends. I just want to say that I do, I did my homework, right? And that I do know the answer because I did. And, but then you get like a bit more conscious when you grow older, like mm, maybe I should not like exhibit it that much. But I would dare to say that it has worked to showcase it and also to realize that others can do it as well, that it's okay for other women to also stand out and to be there. Yeah. So I think competition is healthy, yes, and, but we should acknowledge how are we being competitive? Because sometimes mm -hmm. we do it uh, like means to an end, like it doesn't matter as long as I get there, but it does matter how you get there. If, you, if your okay. path is stepping on others to get there, then you should check yourself and say, okay, well, what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I being like yeah. this? And, and, and again, I think it goes back to analyzing your, yourself first and identifying the sources of, of these bad behavior, behaviors learned, right? Because perhaps yeah. you hear your, yeah. your, I don't know, family, your friends saying like, oh, the CEO, that female CEO, she's, a, she's just, she's just a, a bee right? A B word. And you're like, why? Why do you say that? Is it because just she's a woman and she has decided differently than others? Or so how can we change this? I think it's it, it comes first internally and then looking at others and bring them, bringing them with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how you treat people along the way as well says a lot about yourself. And thank you for sharing that story too, because, you know, that takes courage as well, because, and we all have to stand in our truth and being able to talk about our truth, you know, today on this episode is really, really important because that's the only way we're really going to drive change forward. So Jonathan, last question on this topic before we get to voices of conferences and allyship. Yeah, so I just had a question with Henrik actually. Um, <clears throat> you're thinking about what's been shared already, 
and thinking of how this conversation has progressed thus far and, and where it will go. Do you think, looking, looking at your history in, uh, you know, the, in the various domains, but in terms of leadership in corporations and so on, do you think this sort of dialogue would have happened five or 10 years ago? Or is this something that, that from your point of view, has been relatively new on the scene? Uh, it depends. Um, so if you look into to Northern European countries, yes, this discussion has been going on for, for decades. Uh, more or less. You can then argue, of course, how deep has the discussion really been. Uh, but there are other areas, uh, and I'm living one of them in, in Asia right now, where it's definitely not as uh, advanced. And I think what we are seeing over the last um, couple of years is that it's, it's getting more of a global um, push, global awareness around it. Um, and I think that's actually some, one of the reasons that at times it may seem a little bit like that we are not really progressing, but that we are stalling because we are really dealing with areas and the cultures and the, the, the different types of people, of course, who, who is coming from, from a much lower level. But I do believe uh, uh, overall that gender equality as such has improved, but it's definitely not where it's supposed to be, for sure not. And I think we all have a, a big responsibility and opportunity to push this here. And that's what we're trying to do with our research, simply to put things out there which can be utilized to advance it even further. But when I'm looking around in, in some countries, or oh, it's appalling what you see in some organizations, even here in Singapore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so we're gonna move on to voices of conferences. And one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is because I hear all the time, there's not enough gender equality on panels. There's not enough, you know, women in the audience. There's not enough next generation in the audience of these conferences. And so I just want to touch on this, you know, not too long, but a little bit just to hear from maybe Alison, Rashmeet, Sophia, I've heard of some people actually saying that they won't participate on a panel unless it is diverse. Um, but does that mean gender equality on the panel? Do we actually mean diverse? Because I feel like we're getting a little bit better maybe with gender equality, but not necessarily in diversity as a whole. Um, so I know this is a loaded question. I also think that we need more top-down um, top innovation from the leaders to really give opportunity to the next generation to be able to come to these conferences and learn from these conferences. So what do you guys think? Sophia, I know it was something that I think you were talking about a little while ago. So let's start with you. Yeah, so in terms of conferences, and I do believe we, we see more gender equality or balance in terms of speakers in certain industries as well. It depends. Uh, but in terms of diversity, I think I will go back to what Rashmi said at the beginning, that she's pushing to see leaders out there that look like her. And yeah. I think it's so important to have leaders that look like you, that are from your country, from your culture, to see them out there and say, wow, we can do it, right, as well. Because then you try to identify yeah. with other leaders, but it's not the same. And sometimes mm -hmm. you uh, forget looking back 
to your country. I don't know if yeah. Well, yeah, I think it happens a lot in in Mexico. We don't see a lot of uh, leaders out there speaking at the conferences because we do have leaders and we do have people that are experts in their field and that. But we don't hear their success stories, and I think it's right. first uh, we need to share them, and second of all, we need to encourage them to participate on on these type of forums. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big thing is is really um, helping women to find their voice. So I get really upset when um, men take to social media and say, we only had a small percentage of women come to us as speakers. And so it was very hard for us to be diverse in our conference. And my hand kind of goes up and I'm like, well, who are you asking? Because if we're only looking at C-suite, senior management, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, there are only small numbers, but there are a lot of amazing women. In the pipeline. Yes, in the pipeline who have found their voice that want to share their experiences who we can learn from. So if you're only targeting C-suite and leadership, you're really not going to get a diverse perspective anyways. Allison, I know you're kind of passionate about this one. I saw you shaking your head. Oh, it's when, um, you know, when they're saying, oh, we can't find anyone. Well, that's because you're not looking beyond the interview. Who are you asking? Anyone. They're not asking anyone. It's a pity play and it's virtual signaling. And I said what <laughs> I said. Um, so when it comes to the first thing I'd love to say to all the women in the audience, Put your hand up to speak, do it. You will get better with experience. And if you say, oh, but Alison, I'm just not. No, I have heard from so many terrible male speakers. I have suffered at monologues that went 20 minutes <laughs> over when they didn't even hold the microphone properly. Trust me, girl, you got this. The other thing I will say is that, um, call it out, call it out and be unafraid. I have called out on LinkedIn um, companies for their mail-only boards. I have called out panels for their mail-only panels. I have called out panelists for participating in mail-only panels. But if you have a platform and power, so people come to Worcester Australia and say, would you like to be a community partner of this conference? And I say, what is your um, gender equality in the speakers? I cannot back a conference that is all men. I, and, then I, and then I upped it, right? You don't have to do all of this in one go, take steps. The first thing I did was I want gender equality, you know, attempts at, and then I said, I want a speaking spot. I want a speaking spot for someone on from Worcester, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, um, we will partner with you, but we want to be uh, the panel leader. We want a spot. So ask, tell, force, I don't care. Um, but to all the conference organizers who are saying there are no women, that is an absolute lie and that is laziness. And you cannot promote your conference as saying, oh, we're the best at blah, 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 um, if you don't have pipeline. And don't forget, there are some leaders who aren't great at speaking and there are some in the pipeline who are passionate. Again, this is gatekeeping passion. If you have a speaker who's in the pipeline, who's fine, they're not C-suite, but they are passionate and they are ideological and they want to be a force of change that is who we want to hear from because senior yeah. leadership stamp out passion at every goddamn turn and then say no one is interested in my company or my industry because you stamped it out of them so 
like it is it is a lie that there are no women but to the women yeah speak speak often speak all the time say yes say yes and then you know what reach out to me on linkedin i will coach you i will coach yes you. or me or, Sarah, or me right we, i will i will gather a storm of women around the world to coach you say yes figure it out later yeah, yeah, exactly. And we need to create the space for each other, which is what you're talking about and what you're doing. Rashmeet, just a final word on this part. I just wanted to bring this in really quickly because I know that it's, you know, a big topic, right? I, 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 and you know what, you know what, I will give the last word to, to Jonathan and Henrik. So Rashmeet, we'll go to you first. So I want to say two important things here. Uh, in my understanding, diversity has become a corporate agenda. And when anything becomes a corporate agenda, it is misused. That's what I believe. Because uh, all these conferences that are being organized and all the initiatives that are being organized, they are from the perspective of having a diversity-centric, and by that they mean women-centric initiatives, just to make sure that their organization has a good you know, standing. And I have had I have had legit instances when an organizations call me and tell, you know what, we are having a women-centric panel discussion. Could you organize that for us? I'm like, what do you mean by women-centric panel discussion? <laughs> what are you trying to point at? I mean, what does that even mean? No, it's just that we wanted to indicate that our organization focuses a lot on diversity. I'm like, do you understand diversity? The difference between equality, equity, do you understand any of those dynamics? Or is it just like an agenda you want to put on the table because you're one of the fancy corporates, you know, and it's one of your CSR things. It just really pisses me off and that happens way too often. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of, it should not become a corporate agenda because these organizations, they, uh, women look up to, you know, uh, leaders in these organizations and men look at what the organizations do and decide whether they want to be a part of, you know, such thing or not. And if it's wrong, we are generally saying, you know, we are sending out the wrong message out there. So that's one thing. Second thing I want to touch upon is ageism. So when I started my community and my work, I was 18. And people used to tell me, what do you have to say? What experiences do you have, you know, at this age? You have not even started working. I'm like, did some, you know, interestingly, I built a car in my freshman year. I got selected as top 24 innovators. I was standing there with my working model. A guy had the guts to come to me, same age group, comes to me, literally pulls my hand and says, doesn't look like you work with those hands. And I'm like, okay, really? And I was, I was like, it, these are the experiences that started when I was 18. And they have just grown in number exponentially in the industry that I've been in the last you know, decade now. So uh, I do have a voice. And I do not have a fancy title at the moment because I am young. I cannot become, you know, somebody with 20 years of work experience, even when I'm now 20 years of age. So a lot of that happened in conferences and a lot of these speakers, uh, speaker requests and everything, will always focus on, oh, we're looking at, you know, somebody from senior leadership. I'm like, there is none in my company. I don't see anyone. I am the only one. Do you want to go ahead with it or not? So, I mean, that's generally the tone I take. I mean, what are you trying to say? There are no women that I see. We want to change this trend. I've been working on it. Let, you know, let me be on board and talk about it. So ageism mm -hmm. and diversity being a corporate agenda, these have been the uh, background music of my career in the last 10 years. And I think we need to talk about it more often.
Absolutely. I would agree with you on that. And I, I also think that, you know, what you were talking about when they came to you and asked you to put together a woman only panel, I mean, that's something in itself, right? Because why wouldn't they ask you to support them in that initiative? Why would they ask you to take it over and actually do it? That is another part of the equation, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Henrik, do you have anything to add to this discussion about conferences and panels and diversity and all that? Yeah, um, I don't want, I don't really don't mean to this here to be controversial in any way. Um, I just want to bring out there that I do believe that panels need to be balanced in all the different ways you need to have, and that they also do. includes. Yes diversity of thought mm -hmm. and it's not only what we can see in terms of uh, yeah. gender skin color age and whatever and i think it's really important to have different thoughts uh, and approaches coming into to these conferences uh, and one thing i'm struggling a little bit uh, because i'm a 50 year old white man is that how do i find a voice how do i bring out my diverse thoughts and and, and some of the work i'm doing because I'm basically on, on the side which is, which is all represented. <laughs> so that's another challenge in itself. And when working with uh, teams and, and companies on this year, I always call out that when we are having women's networks uh, set up and so on, they also need to be diverse, if, uh, uh, have diverse and inclusive themselves in their behaviors. So, but yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think is, you know, in, we need, like Jonathan was saying earlier, individuals, we need to take a look at it on the individual level, but we definitely do need diverse thoughts. It's not just about gender on some of these panels. And that's why I was talking about diversity as a whole, because I think we need those diverse perspectives. It's not just C-suite. It's not just leadership. It's, you know, not just men, it's not just women, it's, you know, people from all walks of life, like we're doing with this show, to tell us about their experience and learn from them. Jonathan? Yeah, so just one final thought. Um, and that is if, if uh, a culture or corporate culture is um, promoting the idea um, that it has to virtue signal in order to be successful, um, apart from that being a horrible way of running any company or organization um, it actually is counterintuitive to what the data is showing us about what should be promoted so if you're a man in the c-suite or if you're an aspiring business leader and you're male the data unequivocally says that women have six out of seven they lead in six out of seven competencies and even if there is a discrepancy in pay between the genders you're in effect if you're promoting women you're getting better quality people in your workplace possibly even for cheaper. So you can virtue signal about that all you like. However, the data is currently telling us that if we give women a voice and give them an equal opportunity to excel and succeed, and succeed then the corporation as a whole does better. Um, so as a man, you don't have to resort to virtue signaling. You should just look at the raw information, the facts, the data that's coming out about this, and then transform your organization accordingly. You don't have to appear like you're transforming. You should actually transform because that's a revolution that we can all bring right. about. Quote unquote. <laughs> all right, let's talk about allyship. 
So we've talked a like we've we've covered a lot of topics today about gender equality, inequality, women against women, women supporting women. Now let's get into allyship because I think, you know, Henrik just said, you know, where do I sort of fit in? What does that look like for me on a panel? But I think we need to talk about how we support each other. Um, how what what is the support that we're looking for? from our organizations? What's the support that we're looking for from the men that surround us that do want to support us? What does that look like? What do we want from that? Because I think part of this discussion is also how do we support, how do we be that, that ally that you want by your side to help elevate your voice, to help support you? And I think you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there that don't really know what that means and how they can be supportive. So who wants to start with this one? Allison. I would love to chat first about some what not to do's. Um, what I okay, would love to perfect. do. Um, because I don't get to turn off my gender. I don't. I, mm -hmm. I have to experience it all the time. And the microaggressions are absolutely exhausting. I get so exhausted sometimes. Um, so what I'd love to say to the men um, who are in the audience and listening, if a woman tells you her experience, don't say, really? Is that really still happening? Yes, I just told you and you are not creating an supportive <laughs> environment for me to share these stories. Um, and if you, if they tell you something, they go, oh, that's never happened to me. No, sir. Once again, it's gender related. Um, I understand that you don't want to think the worst of your fellow men. Um, but if we're bringing it up, we're bringing it up because we trust you and we think that you will want to do something about it. So it is actually a compliment to tell you because there is that trust that you will listen to us. Um, I also want to say that um, if, as a man, if you see another man hectoring someone and going, mm, well, that's not really true and this is that and blah, 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 and basically gaslighting and um, running all those BS arguments that are exhausting for women to have to educate every single man they come across as to what goes on, um, men, can you step in and tell the other man to just quit it? Because women are conditioned, as far as in my um, sort of experience, to be nice and to be pleasant and to never sort of raise your voice because then you're getting angry and strident and direct and a bitch. Um, so men, I would love for you to step in and go, hey, just stop, man. You're criticizing for criticism's sake and you're not actually having a healthy debate or argument. Um, I would also like men to realize it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, and I must say, I learned more about how I want people to be an ally for the gender equality movement when I was watching from Australia, the Black Lives Matter movement, because I was following it on TikTok, I was following it on media, and the people of color were explaining things. And I was like, oh, that's how I feel about gender. That's how I feel in these situations. And seeing it from the other side where I am not a person of color really helped me understand the exhaustion that they go through, but helped me realize what I was going through. So there's just a couple of what not to do. Um, I will say that I make a personal point of telling men who are great allies that they are great allies. I give them positive reinforcement. Yeah. I single them out and say, hey, I just want to let you know that you're a great ally. And to their credit, a lot of the guys go, mate, I'm doing the bare minimum. Please do not applaud me for the bare minimum. 
but I give them positive reinforcement because they are doing the right thing and they need reassurance that they are doing the right do. thing. So I make a point of telling male allies that I've personally found to be a great ally. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm so appreciative of your support. It really makes a difference. Um, so yeah. listen, when women, so the only thing that I would say was when a woman tells you her experience, please believe her. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody could see your face right now, I mean, it's too bad. It's just audio, but like your face tells it all. So they're, they're just the points that, I mean, I know everyone else is going to have great points, but they're some of the, um, please don't add to our exhaustion and please don't add to our yeah. fear that we are making a bigger deal of it than we are. And what I would also love to hear from the other panel members is how can I as a woman politely disengage from a BS conversation that I don't want to have anymore because some dude it feels the need to be an alpha male and tell me how I am destroying society the fabric of society by wanting to work. Please. Well, on that note, let me send it over to Jonathan because I think he can follow that up pretty well. Well, well thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that You're vote welcome. of confidence. Uh, no, it's a great, great commentary, Alison, and it's um, great to hear, uh, you know, you speak passionately about those things because it's necessary. And I think, you know, if I can identify someone who I respect and who's someone I've, whose voice I've heard in the public sphere about this, um, you're definitely a, a pioneer. And I, I really encourage you in that role. Um, I, I think if I reflect on this personally, I'm still exploring what being a good ally means. Um, I can, I can explain how I'm currently exploring that, if that's helpful, um, as a, a leader and as a boss or someone who makes decisions in my company, if I can put it that way, I want to create a positive culture where women feel safe, um, where they could feel safe to apply for a role, where they could feel safe to thrive in a role. We recently employed a, a, an amazing young woman and I asked her specifically what, what, uh, what input she might have to this panel. And she supplied me with a really great answer about her role models in, in the company she's been a part of. Um, and my hope is that as she grows in our organization that I can be a part of that growth um, and help her to promote other women into our organization and through the role that she has inside our organization as well. Um, I think as well, part of that for me personally is being a, a good father. Um, and role modeling that in society and making sure I have a positive work-life balance so I don't give off the uh, impression that my KPIs are all driven by profit and don't have a social um, responsibility attached to it as well. Um, and I think thirdly, um, and Alison's mentioned this and she does it well, and this is an area where I'd like to grow, is how can I be part of the change culture that allows companies to realize that they can do the right things and not just appear like doing the right things, but they can do the right things. Um, and it can lead to better and practical changes. Um, and they can still do that while, while being a profitable organization. It's not a backward step or a sideways step to, to think about equality. It's something that can still move the organization forward. You can still have a profit, profitable and functional organization, but one that honors the people who work with it. So that's my passion and I, and I hope through the the guidance of others that I can improve in, in being a better ally. Well, and I think that, you know, you can impress upon the audience today some of the stuff that you're working through and that you're working on and that, you know, it's progress, not perfection, people. You're not going to get it the first go around, but you do need to try. Rashmeet, what do you think about allyship? How can we be better allies, even if it's, you know, women supporting, maybe, maybe let's talk about women supporting women. How can we be better allies to each other? 
Okay, so um, I'm going to say to all the women out there whose voice matters, particularly in the uh, their personal brand matters, uh, please know what you are saying. I have had, you know, women sitting on panels in the events that I organized and I felt like, you know what, this is going to be an interesting panel. And then they say something like, you know what, I am not a feminist, I'm an equalist. I'm like, okay, go back, go back to your basics. Try to understand why do you need a special revolution for women? Do not just come here, make a goddamn comment when you do not, when you have not done your research because it, because there are people looking up to you, both men and women sitting in the conference, you know, they have come to hear you. And then you say things like that. And I feel, you know what? I literally failed myself in you know, finding some sensible person out there to speak their mind. So I think we have to be responsible about what we speak. Do our research. Uh, I believe there is a, uh, you know, <laughs> there is a proper um, unconscious voice that we all have, men and women. So we are all continuously evolving. So just be gentle and kind, you know that we are evolving in the process and be yes. mindful about what you are speaking. That's what I want to say. But I want to add about uh, what men can do here. So I like it, like since I'm from this uh, field where I'm surrounded by men, so I have definitely had this dialogue with so many of them. I just want to say this, stop using, you know, being a feminist as a pickup line, really. That is not going to help anymore, you know. Men, stop doing it. Because the second, the second I start talking to you about the issues, you know, we face, uh, your reaction is, you know what, men also go through all of that. I'm like, yes, men suffer a lot because of misogyny and patriarchy. But the only time you want to mention it is when I'm speaking of my experience. It's clearly, it clearly shows that you do not even care about those men. So, you know, pick up a time to speak about those issues. Genuinely take interest in that. And you know what? I put in extra hours besides my career for this. Can you do that for your fellow men? Because then I would, you know, then it would mean that you are serious about it. So, I mean, there are a lot of good points and the dialogue around this. I just wanted to say these two things because, uh, like Alison mentioned, it's exhausting managing your career, yeah. dealing with all of this, and then you know some additional. Uh, <laughs> parameters to make sure that you don't behave in the way that we are so at the bottom line is start being a good person and a good listener for that matter love that love that and i think it's super important to talk about the good and the bad i mean a lot of people when you're having a conversation with them and this is one of the reasons why we've done the, the show the way that we've done that is that their intentions are good but they might not realize what they're doing is bad or the impact, maybe not bad, but like the impact that they're having on somebody else. And the only way to bring that to their attention is by talking about it. And that's what we're doing today. Henrik, I'm going to go to you and then Sophia. Allyship. Did that come up in your research at all? Are you giving any pointers to people on how they can be good allies? No, but we did measure uh, the leadership competencies. Um, and that's actually quite bleak if, if you think of it in terms of uh, men or maybe even women to a certain degree being, being effective allies. Um, what we measured was really that, that the, the, the lowest rank leadership competency was the ability to help people to, to build confidence. Yeah. The second lowest was giving clear direction. The third lowest was giving constructive feedback and the fourth lowest uh, and that they're all below average uh, is, is having empathy. So, so knowing those scores 
Um, it's nice to talk and, and want allyship, but it seems that a lot of people are not really equipped for, for, for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in order to get better allyship, we both need like what Alison did uh, just before. We need to know exactly what do you need in an ally? What, yeah. what can it be? Um, and in some cases with us men, you may be able to, you may need to be a little bit more explicit about explaining it so that we get it and act upon it. Um, and I think there's a lot of things in this, what, what, what companies can, can do to help the organization to, to, to allow these allyships to, 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 to emerge. They need to train the people both in terms of what kind of mindsets are, are they are available out there? What mindsets can you have potentially for yourself? And what are the, some of the competences, behaviors you are bringing in? And a lot of comp there are not a lot of companies training their leaders in really effectively utilizing empathy in their leadership, mm -hmm. in their allyships. There's a lot of mentoring programs out there, but many of them are simply just, I create a clone uh, out of myself and impose that on that person. And I think this is really important. Allyship can only work if you are having a clear understanding of what is actually the person who needs an ally really needs. Yeah. So I do not want to say that I know that. We just try to push, put the things out there and people can then pick them up. Um, but like in any coaching or mentoring or friend relationship, it's, it's a two way street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, we're all going to be part of your research next time. I think just from this discussion alone. Uh, yeah. Sophia, last comment on allyship, and then we're we're gonna wind this conversation down. So I think most most of us already touch on very uh, important elements on allyship, but perhaps something else to say is that we need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. And yes, that do. takes a lot of time and also a lot of resilience as, as Alison is saying, okay, well, I get so tired of, of doing it, but that does not mean that we're going to stop, right? And we, I think we learn from our experience on what things work best and what things do not work. And one thing that I have noticed in general is that we have to make it clear that we as women, we are not trying to be separated by, from men, okay? It's not like we're drawing a line and saying, here's my, my barrier and you're there and I'm here. No, and, and that's something that we need to speak up about it. We want all of us in the same room, right? Yeah. And we're not alone and we cannot do it alone. And I think that's one part of it. And on another topic is getting informed. Both men and women should get informed before starting a conversation. Because yeah. I think that's one way to acknowledge, again, your own bias, right? And mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're gonna be talking about, then just don't add to the conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Abstain yourself. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, right? Isn't that the It's same? not going to be nice <laughs> what we're going to say, but mm -hmm. for sure that we're going to find a way to say it uh, that actually transcends in 
that chat we're having, right? It's not yeah. to hurt yeah. people, but it's to make ourselves aware and conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Have the good intentions. Well, I recently wrote a post about allyship and I'm just going to share with you some of the research that I found when I was looking at allyship. Amplify, help bring ideas to light, give credit where credit is due, which is huge, not just in gender, but in everything. Give credit where credit is due. Lend your voice, back someone up with your voice. Listen, listen, validate and create a trusted safe space to be heard. Inform yourself, learn the history and stay up to date. Mentor, be an advocate, be an upstander. So re report discriminatory behavior, call out and educate. And I think that's the other thing and maybe something that we need to talk on, talk about on a future episode is about how to call out effectively. Um, and not negatively. And then the last one is show up where it counts. Well, before we go, I just want to say this has been an amazing discussion, but I want to go through each of you and just ask you to give us one issue in the gender equation, an idea and an idea of how you would like to see it fixed. So one thing, each person, what's the challenge? Quickly, what's the solution or what can people do? Rashmeet, I'll start with you. So given that in my country, uh, we are struggling with the concept of equality, even culturally, uh, at our homes. The conversation begins at home. So I just want to say to everyone out there who faces similar challenges, explaining their family, their peers, people with good intentions in your life, trying to explain them this concept, stand up against the smallest gesture of inequality. Do not ignore it. Do not think that oh, it's too small to you know strike a conversation. Strike a conversation. Be it your dad, be it somebody else who really respect, talk to them about this. Stand up against it in that particular moment. It will be uncomfortable initially, but you are making that change around you. It starts with you, your family, your circle. And once they do understand mm -hmm. it, it might take multiple iterations. Families are not easy to deal with. You're emotionally involved there. So you... You know, it might take a couple of iterations, but that's your hustle. That's your part of the share to ensure that it does not take 200 years. That's what you can do. And that's the only thing I want to tell to anyone, everyone, you know, start there. It starts with you. Awesome. Thank you. Henrik, one thing. What's the challenge? What's the solution? What can we do? So overall, I think uh, 20, uh, 2020 was a year of, of doubt, the year of coping and being resilient. And I think moving into 21, that's at least what we are working on here, is really just move away from this style, become more constructive, focus more in on how to be optimistic, how to have the belief in their own abilities. And I think this is super important for the gender equality discussion and what people are doing. We need to move forward now, away from just coping with what it is, into being much more constructive and create new opportunities uh, through what we are doing. And I think... We all have a big responsibility working on gender equality to, to, to create something um, which is much more concrete when we are moving forward. Absolutely. So that's what I'm going to work on next year. Awesome. And be active. Be active in the change. Sophia. So I would say to all the listeners out there, don't be afraid of breaking your box, your pod your walls your boundaries don't be afraid 
yes, there will be people talking like, why did she break it? Why did he broke it? Why? But it doesn't matter. I mean, you already did and it will take forever for you to put back the pieces again. So on that point, just continue going forward. And perhaps the your desired effect that you want that is uh, achieving equity and diversity and equality, that effect perhaps won't be directly reflected on you, but it will for sure be reflected on the ones to come. So, so don't be stopped by that fear of what will happen. I mean, we've, we've seen how it has happened before and I think like the worst case scenarios are do not longer exist. So don't be afraid. Awesome. Love that. Jonathan, one challenge, one solution. Yeah, I, I think a, a great challenge relates to humility and the authenticity that we have in the dialogue um, that currently, uh, I think in many instances is lacking. Um, a lot of the dialogue, it can be dominated by extremes. So the polar opposite voices, and that's not helpful. Um, and it's not helpful to drive practical outcomes. Um, it's also not helpful if it's sprinkled with liberally, with virtue signaling. Um, you know, we, we need to move away from that to try and find authentic solutions. I just uh, quote directly from Brene Brown, who's been a, a great influence on me and I'm sure many others about authenticity. She says, it's the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Um, in, in, in corporate life, that means that we need to let go of the idea that we are this sort of organisation because we want to be. And we actually need to talk about what sort of organisation we actually are. And uh, until we become honest about that, we won't move the dial. That, that applies to individuals as well. And so my hope is that there's an increased authenticity around the conversations to really drive the cultural change that we all seek. Awesome. Well, we definitely saw some authenticity here today. And so we're going to be moving that needle forward. Last but not least, Allison, one challenge, one solution. What do you want to leave the audience with? I want to talk about imposter syndrome and to all, and I'm going to direct this at women because I know you've got the voice inside your head saying, yeah, but you can, but I can't. You can because of this, but I can't because of X. Value your relationship with yourself above people pleasing and making sure people think that you are nice if someone crosses a boundary however small it is call it out assert your boundaries about how you accept to be treated in your life whether it's your personal life or your professional life value the relationship with yourself above people pleasing because you know what how they treat you is more important than how you feel about them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much to Sophia, Rashmeet, Henrik, Allison, and Jonathan for joining me today. The fact that we're still talking about gender inequality shows that we still have a way to go, but conversations like this are where we really start to create awareness and change. Thanks again to our sponsors, Ships, Apex, and Mercado for helping to make this show happen. And don't forget to join us again next time for episode four of Blended and another lively chat around diversity and inclusion. Thank you guys for coming on the show today. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you.